Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Rochester, New York is Jim Nortz. Jim is the founder and president of Axiom Compliance and Ethics Solutions. And we're going to be talking today about the ongoing battle against corruption and the role of corporations in it. Uh, Jim, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. It's my pleasure, Adam. So, Jim, let's start on this very tough issue. Now, having spent the majority of your compliance career serving multinational corporations in an in-house capacity as counsel and compliance officer, what's your assessment of the impact the compliance and ethics profession has had on reducing corporate corruption? Yeah, I think, Adam, at best, we've had modest success. Um, I think there are likely uh, cases out there in which compliance officers have had a material impact on their individual firm's performance. I'd like to think that uh, that the programs that I built uh, would qualify in that category. But when you take a look at performance on a macroeconomic scale, uh, I'm hard pressed to find any data that we have been successful as a as a profession in reducing the incident rate of, uh, of corporate corruption. Uh, you can take a look at any number of uh, data points. You can just observe the thousands of firms caught every year engaging in criminal activity. Uh, there is, of course, a parade of uh, breathtaking scandals that make the headlines uh, every year, uh, and the billions of dollars in fines that are paid annually by U.S. businesses, and by businesses, many of which have full-blown compliance and ethics programs. And, and perhaps one of the most discouraging things uh, or pieces of data out there that I've observed is the uh, the latest global business ethics survey that the Ethics Resource Center put out in, in 2018, in which they observe that over the last 20 years, uh, there has not been an appreciable increase. In fact, it's been steady uh, in the number of uh, firms with strong ethical cultures. Uh, today, only one in five workers uh, reports that they work for a firm with a strong ethical culture. And what uh, the uh, ERC data shows is that this has not changed for over 20 years. And as compliance and ethics professionals know, it's culture that actually drives performance. And the fact that as a profession, we have not been able to move that dial, I think may explain a lot about why we're not seeing uh, an improvement in performance. So that's obviously fairly disheartening information. So what do you think we can do as a profession to improve performance and turn that dial? Yeah, I think the first thing we can do is to make an honest assessment about what our role is as compliance officers in corporate governance. And to do that, I wanna define what a corporate compliance program is. Long before there were compliance offices, corporations had compliance programs. These compliance programs comprised uh, professionals in corporate functions dedicated to helping corporations navigate or, or manage their portfolio of legal and ethical risks. These included human resources to help a corporation uh, deal with all the labor laws. Uh, their, the finance and accounting group to deal with uh, uh, SEC regulations and, and any number of accounting regulations, uh, regulatory, safety, health, and environmental, and of course, law departments, uh, which were dedicated to helping uh, uh, corporate executives uh, follow the rules. So long before uh, 
there were dedicated uh, corporate compliance departments, corporations had compliance programs. Now let's just think about what have we done recently, you know, since the advent or the publication in 1991 of the Sentencing Guidelines, Seven Elements of an Effective Compliance Program, uh, executives have started investing in dedicated compliance offices. Well, if you take a look at it uh, from a holistic point of view, uh, these compliance offices are just another corporate function. Now, they're a corporate function in which a lot of the ministerial tasks associated with compliance are centralized, uh, but they are in addition to not a substitute for all the work that corporate uh, functions have been doing. So compliance offices now will manage the hotline and they'll do investigations. They'll manage policies and procedures, write codes of conduct, and uh, generally help their uh, colleagues understand what the rules are by doing training programs. All of these are very important tasks, uh, but really it's a supplement to uh, what uh, the corporate functions have been doing all along. Uh, so that's the first thing. I think we've just got to understand that uh, the advent of corporate uh, compliance offices uh, was not necessarily as groundbreaking as we'd like to think, uh, because before we were created, the other corporate functions were doing this work. The second thing I think we need to do is to confront the reality that it is impossible in any organization to control your way to a compliant and ethical culture. Policies don't drive behavior, leadership does. And what that means is that for us to succeed as a profession, we need to get our corporate leaders, and I'm talking about our boards of directors and our senior executives in the game. Well, I think a lot of people uh, might argue with you on the first part that this is, uh, you know, compliance is, just to repackaging in some ways of what was already done. I think there's a strong argument to be made that it wasn't really being done well or in a coordinated way and compliance was doing it uh, was a step to change that. But that's well, something would, for- um, well, you know, let, me, let me just uh, respond to that, Adam. I think you're correct about that. I think that uh, we are doing it better than it has ever been done in the past. And I think that the profession has matured considerably over the last 20 years. Uh, I've been involved with it. Uh, in uh, essentially uh, coming up with better ways to, uh, to execute all of these ministerial tasks that are critical to helping companies uh, manage their legal and ethical risks. So I think that's fair. That's fair observation that compliance offices and the development of dedicated compliance professionals has improved uh, you know, the way hotlines are managed and the rest. Great. Now, you, you mentioned one point, which was the important role of leadership, you know, whether it's executive leadership at the organization, corporate director, so forth. Um, how do you recommend we get them to be more a part of the process and more committed to the program and, you know, creating the right culture at an organization? Yeah, I think one of the best things we can do as a profession is to bring our leadership the data they need to steer the ship. Uh, and uh, there are dozens of compliance and ethics metrics that we all focus on, but I think there are two that tower above the rest in importance, and I call these the prime integrity metrics. And they're essentially the answers to two very important questions. The first is, how well are 
your corporate functions functioning? In other words, do they have the capacity to enable compliance? And the second question that we can help corporations answer is, how strong is your ethical culture? And I think that there is a huge opportunity there for us because the reality is most corporate leaders are flying blind. Most boards of directors and corporate executives do not know the answers to those two questions because that data is not being gathered. And I've developed uh, methodologies uh, for gathering, gathering this data, but setting that aside, uh, I think that by bringing this data to our leaders, uh, we will enable them to see what's really going on in the organization. So for example, had the Wells Fargo board known or had been measuring uh, the strength of their ethical corporate culture, they would have seen that after uh, these uh, uh, pejorative uh, incentive programs were approved, that uh, that move had created a toxic culture that was resulting in a significant level of non-compliance. And they would have been able to uh, pull out of the nosedive long before uh, the, uh, the criminal activity that they engaged in for years hit the press. And so once we get this data uh, in, in the hands of our leaders, I think what we need to do is help them set and achieve performance targets. And we've got to do the hard work of persuading our boards to make this a priority and to hold senior executives accountable for meeting performance standards on both those metrics. So how can we persuade corporate leaders and directors to take those steps? That's a hard question. And I've got to uh, confess that I've had only limited success in getting leaders to take these steps. But I think that the best way we can get leaders in the game and to persuade them uh, to uh, really invest themselves in driving strong ethical cultures is to make the business case that doing so is not just a nice to have. Strong ethical cultures are not just a nice to have, it's foundational to sustain value creation. And there's lots of data out there to support uh, this notion. Uh, there is the Great Place to Work Institute data. Uh, there's the work that Raj Sisodia and John Mackey published in a book called Conscious Capitalism. Uh, there's the Cotter Heskett study. All of these show that there is a very direct connection between the strength of ethical cultures and sustained financial performance. In fact, if you take a look at some of these studies, especially the work uh, in conscious capitalism, you can see uh, that those firms that uh, live by the, the four tenets of conscious capitalism outperform uh, the market by a substantial margin. And uh, I, although the listeners might not be familiar with conscious capitalism, uh, it's a, uh, a business model grounded uh, in, in fundamental ethical principles. Uh, the second thing I think we should do is try to get to the leaders of the future. Uh, I've been lecturing at business schools and law schools for years now, preaching the gospel with the hope to persuade uh, future uh, business leaders uh, of the importance of them uh, building and sustaining strong ethical cultures. So in closing, I mean, you portrayed a much more pessimistic portrait of things than most do. I mean, are you optimistic or pessimistic about our prospects for improving performance and reducing the frequency of corruption and as well as other compliance failures? Well, I'm guardedly optimistic. Uh, as we mature as a profession, my hope is that we're more successful than we have been up until this point to getting our leaders in the game. 
and to changing the business paradigm uh, to make building and sustaining strong ethical cultures uh, a central performance uh, metric that the senior executives are held accountable for. But I think we should be realistic about it. I think we're in for a long fight. Um, uh, when I think about what our profession is trying to do, I hearken back to the work of W. Edward Deming. And as you may know, he is the father of the modern quality control movement. And he worked for decades in the 40s and the 50s, struggling to persuade uh, corporate leadership in the United States and elsewhere uh, that quality was essential to increasing productivity. And he was fighting an uphill battle uh, because there was a strong belief at the time that you could have high productivity or you could have high quality, but you couldn't have both. And over decades of hard work, he brought the data uh, to uh, corporate executives to help them understand that by pursuing uh, higher quality, you get higher productivity. You also get higher customer satisfaction, higher worker satisfaction. Uh, and so he, he actually won that fight, but he, it took him decades to do that. And I'm, I suspect that we're in uh, for the same kind of long slog, but, but the fight's well worth it because the reality is that uh, the scourge of corporate corruption really causes a lot of harm to all stakeholders. And so it's, it's a fight worth having. A fight worth having indeed. Well, Jim, thanks for taking the time to share these interesting and often provocative perspectives. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletop from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>